Join with me for the next few minutes as I leave with you a message that the Lord has laid in my heart. thumbnail this afternoon is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and I would like to read to you the first four verses. Let's hear the word of God. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And I would like us to think for a few minutes to try and answer the question, what is the Gospel? I want us to think of the divinity of the Gospel. You see, the Gospel is a message from God. The, the gospel starts with God. It's all of God and it's all of grace. The Apostle Paul didn't dream up the gospel. It wasn't taught to him in some school or university. He didn't receive the gospel out of a particular book. He didn't hear it from the lips of a particular scholar. The Apostle Paul was taught the gospel by divine revelation. He received it as a message from God. The gospel always starts with God. Can I tell you also about the necessity of the gospel? You see, the gospel is a message about God's remedy for human sinfulness. And that brings in the doctrine of sin. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Man is a sinner by nature, a sinner by practice. You've got to think of when man sinned. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 5 and 12. What does that mean? It means we sinned in Adam. Whenever Adam sinned, we were in Adam's loins, and we inherited the guilt of that first transgression. And not only that, but we inherit additional guilt for every other sin, contrary to the law of God, in thought, in word, and in deed. Man not only has a bad record, but he's a bad heart. He's born with a heart that loves sin, a heart that is a fountain of all iniquity. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. And it was the Apostle Paul who described man as without strength to save himself. He described man as a sinner who has a bias, an inbuilt bias against God. He's born that way. The wicked Go astray as soon as they're born, speaking lies, the psalmist said. And David was very conscious of this, for he said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The apostle Paul set forth man not only as without strength and as a sinner, but he set him forth as one who was without God. That means he has a, an anti-God agenda, an anti-God bias, an anti-God mindset, and he's also God's enemy. He's an heir of divine hostility. And in this condition, without strength, being a sinner, without God in the world, and being a, an object of God's divine wrath, 
God had devised a remedy whereby man the sinner could be genuinely and gloriously saved. Not only think of the divinity and necessity of the gospel, but think of the centrality of the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You see, God's remedy is bound up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The remedy isn't in the church. The remedy is in Christ and in Christ alone. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. We read in Galatians 4 and 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And you've got to think of the personal work of Jesus Christ. You've got to think of his death upon the cross. We know who died. Jesus, the Son of God. We know when he died, roughly 2,000 years ago. We know where he died, outside the city walls of Jerusalem. We know the way that he died, the horrible death of crucifixion physically. But why? And the answer is for our sins. What does that mean? He was our substitute. He took our place. It means that he was our sin bearer. It means that he was our surety to the broken law. It means that he was our sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He was our sin offering for it pleased the Lord to bruise him. The wrath of God uh, was uh, meted out in Christ until he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that was all necessary in order for him to become our Saviour. Remember what was revealed by Gabriel to Joseph? Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Not in their sins sins, but from their sins. There is a saviour from all sin, the hymn writer said. If you'll only let him in. You've got to think of the centrality of the gospel, but also think of the authority of the gospel. It's according to the scriptures. Think of that word Bible, B-I-B-L-E. You see, the Bible is God's instruction manual for life and for the world to come, the life here and now and the great eternity. The scriptures, of course, teaches about God, teaches about sin, teaches about Christ, teaches about our soul, teaches about the great message of salvation. And we believe, of course, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. What I've read to you from 1 Corinthians 15 is a God-breathed word. And I believe that God's word's infallible. God's word is inerrant. God's word is clear and sufficient to reveal to man as a, a life uh, manual. And I wonder, have you paused to uh, give yourself to understanding and to the reading of the scriptures? The Bible exhorts us to give attention to reading the public and private reading of the words of God. Not only think about the authority of the gospel, but think about the instrumentality of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, in these verses that I've read to you, you've got the word, lest you have believed in vain. And you see, the instrument of the gospel is faith. What is faith? Forsaking all, I trust him or take him. Uh, and you think of a remedy, uh, say, for example, that somebody's suffering the horrible disease of cancer. And somebody discovers a remedy. Imagine going into a cancer ward and saying, I've got a remedy for your cancer in all its various types and shades. What a wonderful miracle that would be. It would be plastered all over the news, a miraculous cure for cancer. And that would be a tremendous thing. And it would relieve a whole pile of suffering. 
But remember, that remedy has got to be partaken of. Imagine a cancer patient saying to the doctor, no, thank you, I don't want your remedy. Well, isn't that what many are doing with the remedy that God has provided, which is Christ? If Christ is the answer for the human soul and man's need to be rid of the uh, power of sin and its penalty and, uh, and its pleasure, uh, then our refusing of that remedy is a dreadful thing. How can it be received? It was re- received as a gift. It's received by faith. I want you to also think of the vitality of the gospel. Think of that word saved. We're saved from sin's penalty, saved from sin's power, saved from sin's pleasure, one day saved from sin's pressure. The uh, hymn writer said, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I want you to also think, even at this time, of the certainty of the gospel. How do we know this message is real? How do we know that it's true? The answer is the empty tomb. The empty tomb is proof that Jesus Christ is alive. And the empty tomb, of course, has a wonderful proclamation. And the proclamation is this, that the gospel message is true. Christ's once and for all sacrifice was accepted by God the Father. And on the ground of his blood sacrifice, you can be gloriously pardoned and saved. And you can have a new life in Christ. So if we sum up, what is the gospel? You see, this needs to be rediscovered. This needs to be preached in all our pulpits. This needs to be sounded abroad in homes and in streets of our towns and villages and hamlets because many have forgotten what the gospel is. This has nothing to do with socialism, nothing to do with capitalism. This has to do with man's spiritual need. Here's a message that's from God. A message about God's remedy for human sinfulness. A message that centers in the person and work of Jesus Christ. A message that is authoritative because it's based on the teaching of the Bible. The Bible is a God-breathed book. And, And this authoritative word has to be received by faith because the word, Jesus Christ, the eternal Logos, must be received by faith. And and this message is power, power to save your soul, power to save your life, power to change and power to transform. And and this is a, a, a wonderful message. It's real and true. And here's the proof. The Bible says he is not here. He is risen, as he said. And the great doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ bodily from the dead attests to the proof that his once and for all sacrifice was accepted by God the Father. He was resurrected and the stone was rolled away to let people see and people believe that the tomb is empty. So I would have you to understand what the gospel is and may the Lord bless you even with light and insight into its great truths. God bless you. Thank you for listening.